0: Truth will set you free. People often say this as a way to persuade others to reveal some hidden secret. The idea is that if you tell the truth, you release a huge burden and you get a heavy weight off your chest. In other words, telling the truth will bring you relief because you no longer have to carry around the lie in your conscience. Now, although that may be true in a sense, that is not what Jesus meant when he said, The truth shall make you free. In John chapter 8, he's speaking to a group of Jews. Some who believed him and some who didn't. And now beginning with verse 31, the Bible says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now the word if indicates a conditional clause, meaning that a condition must first be met in order for something else to be true. So then Jesus says, if you abide or continue, hold fast, or remain in my word or teachings, then these three things will be true. Number one, you are truly my disciples. You're not pretenders. Number two, you will know the truth. And number three, that truth will make you free. So free from what? Free from the consequence and from the power of sin. In verse 33, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So, yeah, they most likely took the news that they were slaves as an insult. Of course, they didn't see themselves as such. You know, people can be in bondage for so long that they don't even realize that they're slaves. One commentator said that people fight for all kinds of freedoms while yet being a slave to sin. And this is true. I mean, think about it. People fight for freedom of speech, abortion rights, voting, women's civil rights, not understanding or caring that all the while they are slaves to sin and headed toward eternal destruction. Matthew Henry says, Christ spoke of spiritual liberty, but carnal hearts feel no other grievances than those that molest the body and distress their worldly affairs. Talk to them of their liberty and property. Tell them of waste committed upon their lands or damage done to their houses and... They understand you very well, but speak of the bondage of sin, captivity to Satan, and liberty by Christ. Tell of wrong done to their precious souls and the hazard of their eternal welfare. Then you bring strange things to their ears. Jesus plainly reminded them that the man who practiced any sin was in fact a slave to that sin. And then he goes on and says, but often we see persons disputing about liberty of every kind while they are slaves to some sinful lust. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? You know, if a person's life is more characterized by them constantly submitting to sin, practicing sin, With no kind of resistance, then I think it's safe to say that that person is a slave to sin. But if we more often than not obey the word of God and shun evil and resist it as best we can with the Holy Spirit's help, then wouldn't we be considered slaves of obedience? And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 35 of John chapter 8 and a slave does not abide in the house forever but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You see, a slave could be sold or set free. So generally, a slave wouldn't remain in the house forever. The slave doesn't remain with the family, but a son remains forever and inherits the father's wealth. In addition, he's given the same authority as the father. Therefore, the Son had the power to set slaves free. And so now who is the Son that Jesus is referring to? Who sets free? Himself, of course. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Galatians 4, 4-8 says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons. So Jesus came into the world to save his people from their sins and from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for them, redeeming them with his own blood through his sacrificial death on the cross. Then Romans 6 5 through 7 says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Because Jesus came and died, all people everywhere have the opportunity to be slaves no longer, but sons and daughters of God. If you are in Christ, then you no longer have to submit to the heart taskmaster of sin because you no longer work for it, and it no longer has dominion over you. It no longer has power to hold you, for you have died and risen with Christ and have therefore been set free from sin. Matthew Henry states, Christ in the gospel offers us freedom. He has power to do this, and those whom Christ makes free are really so. So just to review, Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, finally, what is the truth? In, in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor who ordered Christ's crucifixion, one day Jesus stood before him, and Pilate began to ask Jesus some questions. Verse 37 says, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Some people don't know the truth even when it's staring them right in their face. Pontius Pilate asks Jesus, "What is truth?" Now one of the things I notice is that when Jesus talks about truth, it's preceded by the definite article, "The" or "the," however you want to say it. It indicates that he is talking about something specific. But Pilate simply asks, "What is truth?" which makes sense because there are so many definitions of truth in this world. You know, there's your truth, my truth, relative truth. Some say there's no absolute truth. Some people have all these weird formulas and stuff for truth. But in reality, there is no your truth or my truth. There is only one truth, and that is the truth. And it's ironic because Pilate was staring the truth right in the face, and he didn't even realize it. Truth is something that is considered to be true in a given situation. It is conformity to fact or actuality. Truth is a moral and a personal characteristic of God. R.C. Sproul explained truth as being that which corresponds to reality according to God. You know, if the weatherman says outside that there's blue skies, if I can look outside and see that the sky is blue, then is what they're telling me true or not? It's the truth. But if, but what if someone has an eye condition and they see a different color, maybe yellow? Does that make the sky yellow? Absolutely not. Regardless of the way they see it, the truth is the sky is still blue. And when we look into the scriptures, if God plainly says a thing in his word, well, then it's true. It doesn't matter how we see it, how we feel about it, how we don't agree with it, or how we feel or think, it doesn't make it any less true. Because God's word is truth. In John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to the Father on behalf of his disciples before he gets ready to depart this earth. And he prays to the Father, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on to tell us that the Word became flesh. Our words reveal our will and our desires, and so does God's Word. Jesus is God's Word in the flesh. It's as if God spoke his will and his desires, and as the words flowed from his mouth, Human flesh began to wrap around them until they were neatly packaged into a tiny human embryo, sent to earth and carefully placed inside of the womb of the Virgin Mary until the time of birth. It's like a floppy disk or an SD card for you newer people. You see, you have all this information and all these instructions encoded into this tiny piece of fragile plastic. And in like manner, God's word God's desire, His will, and His instructions for humankind was encoded into a little human embryo that became a little baby who was born of a woman, born under the law, and grew up as a normal human being. And at the right time, began to unravel and reveal the truth, mysteries, the instructions and desires of the Father for mankind through the miracles, healings, and teachings that Jesus Christ performed. God's Word is truth. Jesus is the Word, and Jesus is the truth. He says He is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not simply a concept. Truth is a person, Jesus Christ. God's Word and God's truth personified. Authors J.B. Green and J. Brown in their Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels writes, Jesus is both the Logos of God and the content of his own words. He is both the revelation of God and the revealer of that revelation, both the proclaimer and the proclaimed. So we are sanctified, cleansed, purified, freed from sin by God's truth. To know Jesus is to know the truth, and to know the truth is to know Jesus. And knowing Jesus, the word, the truth on a personal level, is what sets us free from sin. So practically, how does knowing the truth make one free from sin? Well, when we encounter God's truth, the truth sets us free in three ways. Number one, when you know the truth, that is, when you first believe in Christ for salvation, you are justified. You are set free from the eternal consequence and from the power of sin. Number two, when you continue in his teachings, you find out what God says about a situation rather than believing lies from the devil or from other unreliable sources. You don't remain ignorant, but your mind is renewed. And what you come to learn is that you are no longer a slave. Therefore, you don't have to keep living like one. You see, a lot of true believers don't realize that they're free because they don't continue in his teachings. They don't continue in his word. They're not reading their Bibles. They're not listening to the preaching and teaching of the word. But they're spending time on things that don't promote spiritual growth, but rather help stunt their growth. You know, if you don't know the truth, then how can the truth make you free? See, even though their chains have been broken, and even though there's nothing holding them in that prison of sin, they still sit there, hopeless, because they're still in mental bondage. It's like being blindfolded and chained up in a dark, moldy basement. Then someone comes along and removes your blindfold and loosens your chains and tells you to get up. You can go free. Then you have two choices. You can sit there and sulk in darkness and despair, believing that you're still a victim and that you'll never get out of that place. Or you can trust that the chains have been broken and that you have been set free. And you can get up and run out of that prison as fast as you can. In Acts 12, when the angel of the Lord came and raised Peter up and made his chains fall off his hands and told him to put on his shoes and his clothes and to follow him out, Peter didn't just sit there wallowing in self-pity. No, Peter got up and he followed the angel out. You see, he realized that he was no longer in chains. He believed the word of the Lord that said he could leave, that said he was free. And he didn't even know if it was real or not, but he still obeyed. He knew he had the power to get up and get out, and that's what he did. He couldn't be held there any longer. Now, had he chosen to stay, it would have been his own choice. But he chose to get out. And when he got out the gate, he realized that he wasn't dreaming, Verse 11 says, And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. That's why scripture tells us to renew our minds in order to be transformed and so we will not conform to the world. Because only then will we come to ourselves like Peter and then we'll be able to say, Now I know for certain that the Lord has delivered me from the hand of Satan and from all the power of sin. Many believers are constantly asking God to free them from this or to free them from that. But if they have been born again and received the Holy Spirit, then they are already free. They just got to get up and walk out of that prison, which is done through the power of the Holy Spirit in cooperation with us, continuing in his word and obeying it and by responding to the Spirit's conviction by repenting as we go and putting his teachings into practice. And now it may be difficult at first, but relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, we should begin to resist temptation to sin by standing on the truth that is the word, which is able to combat all the lies of the enemy. Speak the word of God. Speak it out loud, trusting it to give you victory. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Read the word. Listen to it. Meditate on it. Trust it. Get it deep down within you any way you can. Hide it deep within your heart. Trust me, it works. You know, I know what it means to be a slave to sin. To not want to do something to a point to where you're crying, wondering why you're doing it wondering why you keep doing something that you don't want to do and why you can't stop. But I want to tell somebody who's listening right now that you can be free. And as you get to know the truth, you will begin to understand that you have been given power to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You will come to find out the greater is he, That is in you than he who is in the world. And you'll begin to realize that you no longer have to submit to the power of darkness, but that you can command it to flee. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more you learn about who he is and what he's done for you, and about his character, his holiness and righteousness, his meekness and humility his love, compassion, and faithfulness to you and me, even though we don't deserve it, the more you will grow to love him. Those who love him and appreciate what he's done for them, they strive to live pleasing to him, which includes turning away from the sin that he hates, even though it's sometimes a struggle. But aren't we a people who struggle for love? Don't we put up a fight for those who we hold dear to us, real love is impassive. Love puts up a fight, and greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us. Therefore, we fight for our relationship with him, and we fight against him because we love him. And it's only because we realize that he first loved us without any strings attached. And that love is ultimately what breaks the power of sin over our lives. You see, freedom doesn't come from fasting 40 days and 40 nights. It doesn't come from memorizing John 3.16. It doesn't come from praying 10 times a day and asking the congregation to pray for your deliverance every week or by crying and weeping, asking God to take your addiction away from you. But freedom, real freedom, comes through a relationship, one in which we seek to know, to please, and to love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the only truth that can set us free. I pray that you'll search the scriptures for yourself, to see whether these things are true. And until next time, continue to preach the gospel so we can all go home. God bless you and take care.